0: Please turn with me to uh, <clears throat> the letter of Second Peter, towards the end of uh, your New Testament. There, we continue in our series this morning, and we're going to be uh, speaking from or reading one Second uh, Peter chapter one verses sixteen through to twenty-one. This is the word of God. <clears throat> For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again this morning for your word to us. And this morning we are going to see that it is indeed the dependable word, the one true word, the word that is above all other words, Father, it is your voice to us, and we pray we would receive it as such, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Foundations. Anyone ever done any foundations, done any building, build a, build a, built a house or something like that? Oh, a couple of people, there's a few hands around the place. Well, if you uh, have ever built anything, you'll know that foundations are, are crucial to the stability and the longevity of something. I mean, when we build a house, we need to make sure that those foundations are secure, that they are stable and firm, otherwise the house could end up collapsing. Well, it's the same when it comes to our Christian faith. If it's not built on firm foundations, in fact, if it's not built on the firm foundation, then our faith can easily become undermined and ultimately it can be destroyed. The Christian faith has as its foundation the living word of God, Jesus Christ. The the Christian faith is built on the word of God, the living word, Jesus, who we are told in in the New Testament is the cornerstone, the very foundation of our faith. But it is Jesus who has been revealed to us and God who has been revealed to us through the scriptures, the, the, uh, the written word that God has made sure that has been uh, recorded for us and passed down through the many authors who he has used. And we're going to have a look at that uh, today in our passage. You know, if you undermine the word of God, then you, uh, then you eventually destroy or can destroy a person's faith in God. And so it comes as no surprise then that over the years... God's word has come under sustained attack. Sustained, sustained attack right even from the very beginning. In Genesis 3, we are told of Adam and Eve there in the garden and Satan, God's enemy, tries to get Adam and Eve to doubt God and particularly to doubt God's word. And we read the words of Satan saying to Adam and Eve, Did God really say? Trying to undermine the dependability and the reliability of God's word. Since the age of enlightenment, the Bible has come to be viewed as just another religious book to be scrutinised and, rec- and critiqued from the standpoint of human wisdom and reason. The Bible has come under attack from those outside the church, but it has also come under attack, under attack from those within the church. Bill Johnson, who is the pastor of Bethel Church in Reading in California, a church that's gaining incredible great following and influence across the globe today, promotes a Christianity that has as its focus spiritual experience and revelation apart from the Bible. He says that the Bible is limiting when it comes to truly knowing and experiencing God. Of course, that's... The heresy of the Gnostics, right the way back from New Testament times. Andy Stanley, another popular preacher and author, recently spoke about the need to just focus on the New Testament and in some ways ditch the Old Testament. The trouble is, we cannot truly know Jesus without the Old Testament. Look at what was recorded for us in John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 39 to 40. Jesus, speaking to those of his days, said, "'You search the Scriptures,' meaning the Old Testament,' Because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus says there in the Old Testament scriptures, they bear witness to him. Rob Bell, another celebrity pastor who has gained great influence, particularly and in notoriety, when he since he appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show a number of years ago, denies that there is such a place as hell. And his reasoning is this, that he cannot reconcile in his mind and in his heart how a loving God would allow people to suffer eternally in hell. And so because he cannot reconcile that in his mind and his heart, he has decided to do away with what God's Word says. And sadly today, folks, countless people, numerous people today, endorse unbiblical practices things which go against the Bible, beliefs that go against the Bible because it feels right in their hearts. And because it feels right in their hearts, they think, well, this must be the truth. And that is such a a witness to how we view truth today, that, that truth is determined by us in our own hearts rather than the authority of the word of God speaking about that the prophet jeremiah in, Pro- in jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it yet we trust our hearts more than the word of god focus of this particular passage this morning peter is defending the reliability and the trustworthiness of the word of god against those in his day, who would seek to cast doubt on it, the false teachers and their false teaching. But, of course, it speaks very much to us today because the same stuff that these false teachers were teaching in Peter's day are the same stuff that's going around today. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible tells us. And so in order to, uh, to defend the reliability and trustworthiness of God, Peter is going to bring uh, his case of, of eyewitnesses, eyewitness testimony of himself and the other apostles, the new, in other words, the New Testament witness first, and we're going to see that in verses 16 to 18 of our passage this morning. And then secondly, he's going to point to the testimony of the Old Testament writers, the prophets, those who were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God in their writing down of the revelation of God. And we see that in verses 19 to 21 of our passage this morning. And in doing this, what Peter's going to do is he's going to basically cover the whole scope of the revelation of God from Genesis right through to Revelation, proving that it is indeed God's word and that we should therefore be believers who listen to it and follow it, not these other teachings and philosophies. So let's begin this morning. We're going to look first and foremost at the, the first, at the reliability of the New Testament witness. We see that in verses 16 to 18 of our passage. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Peter and his, and his fellow apostles were being accused by these particular false teachers in the church of preaching myths and fairy tales particularly in relation to the second coming. They saw this this whole doctrine of the second coming of Christ as being as some kind of mythological story. It was fanciful, it was nonsense, according to them. We see that this is going to be uh, brought out in in 2 Peter chapter, chapter 3 in a couple of weeks' time. We'll deal a lot more about this extensively. But these people were saying that this whole thing, this second coming of Christ, that Christ was going to return to the earth again in all of his glory, they saw that as just ridiculous. Isn't that so much the thought today? That so much of our Bible today, people from from, from outside the church and some people even within the church, view the scriptures as being myth. As being fairy tales, as being ridiculous nonsense to believe. I had a text message this week from uh, from Mike, from Mike Yarrow, and he was saying that uh, you know, in talking to uh, a colleague of his at work, you know, his colleague had basically said that he'd sort of had a bit of a look at the Bible and that sort of stuff, but he said it is just absolute and utter nonsense. That's the way in which many people view the Word of God today. It's no different to Peter's day. These particular false teachers instead urge the believers, urge the followers of Christ to instead live for the present, indulging their own passions and their own desires and their own greed. And Pastor Isaac will preach about this next week in Second Peter chapter 2. But Peter says here in this passage, he makes clear right from the word go in verse 16, he says that we did not follow these cleverly devised myths or stories. You know, that word myth speaks about a a sophisticated kind of story, yet a deceitful idea that has been concocted by men. And Peter's saying we did not follow these sorts of things. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths or stories. And for Peter and the apostles and for for the New Testament believers who, who put their faith and trust in the word of God that was revealed through them and through the Old Testament, they saw that Christ's second coming was very much a reality that would occur. In referring to we, Peter means himself along with the apostles of his day and the other New Testament writers. Those, those people who God had commissioned to make known to the believers the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These were God-appointed people. If you go to the letters, particularly you know, the letters of, of, of Paul and of Peter and of John in the New Testament, you'll see right at the very beginning that they say that they've been commissioned by God. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul says something you know, similar for himself when he, when, he, when he begins these letters. These men were appointed by God to be the, uh, the, the men through which God's word was communicated. Those terms, power and and coming, here in this particular passage that that Peter speaks about, as I said, are associated with Jesus' second coming. That day when Jesus will return, where he will be revealed in all of his majesty and his glory. That he will indeed be revealed as the majestic Son of God to all of mankind, both living and dead. Matthew, Mark and Luke speak of this day and say that they, and that is in fact all people, will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Folks, this particular event, this second coming of Christ, was, was, it formed a central part of the preaching of the Apostles. The preaching of the of the gospel by the apostles. We see it in Philippians 3 and 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 John 3 and many other passages in the the New Testament. For them, this was, was a guaranteed reality about Jesus Christ. They were firmly convicted in their hearts. And I wonder for us today, is it the same? Is it firmly, are we firmly convicted in our hearts of Christ's second coming? Are we looking forward to that wonderful hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Is that what we are hanging on to as his followers today, as we live in, this, in our own particular culture, our own particular context with all of the, the opposition and the, all of the challenges that we face as followers of Jesus? Are we looking forward to that day? Because that, folks, is our hope jesus is our hope peter goes on to say that they were eyewitnesses of jesus's majesty you know an eyewitness is used to confirm something you know when you go to a court of law and they'll bring in witnesses to testify, you know, the, the, uh, the, the lawyers will bring the forward particular witnesses. The reason they want these witnesses there on the, on, the, on the dock is to be able to confirm the truth, the reality, the facts about a particular situation or event or scenario. And Peter is saying, we ourselves were eyewitnesses. And he's, Peter is calling himself, he's calling the other apostles here and he's saying, we ourselves were eyewitnesses of this glory and majesty of jesus christ we are telling the truth he says of course the peter and the apostles they were they were certainly eyewitnesses of jesus's majesty in his earthly ministry weren't they i mean they walked with him they they lived with him for three plus years they saw all of the the miracles and the healings that jesus did they they heard the authority and you know of, from which he spoke the authority of the word of God, no one ever spoke like Jesus. They had ringside seats, if you like, to the glory and the majesty of Jesus in his earthly ministry. But in respect to Jesus's majesty, one particular event stands out for Peter in his mind and he goes on to speak about this in this passage this morning and it is a, the, the transfiguration of Jesus recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke's Gospel. The transfiguration of Jesus. Of course, this event particularly took place on a mountain and before their very eyes, the the eyes of, of Peter, James and John, Jesus was transfigured and his divine glory, his divine glory was revealed. We're told in, that particular, in those particular passages in Matthew 17 and in, uh, in Mark uh, 9 and Luke 9 that Jesus, his face was, was changed, his clothes became radiant, they became dazzling white. And Moses and Elijah appeared alongside Jesus there and spoke to him. And then we're told that this cloud came down and settled on that mountain, settled over them. The Shekinah glory of God. Remember back in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, God had given the people, of, the people of Israel the tabernacle to go with them and that would be God's dwelling place with them. God would tabernacle, he would make his home with them there. That Shekinah glory descended upon that tabernacle. It was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And as that cloud came down, the voice of God spoke and said to those gathered, to to Peter, James and John, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Of course, this demonstrated the Father's approval and confirmation of Jesus, of who he was, of his person and of his mission. It confirmed very much the reality of Jesus' divine glory. You now, as you think about that, you know, for Peter, it must have been an incredible confirmation for him because only just a, a short while just before that, Peter, you know, Jesus has said to his disciples, he says, you know, who do people say that I am? You know, and some say, oh, you know, some say you're, uh, you're Elijah and some say you're the prophet and some say you're John the Baptist and that sort of thing. And then Jesus says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, you are the son of the living God. You are are the Christ. You are God's anointed Messiah. And Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for man's wisdom has not revealed this to you, but God himself. There, as Peter witnesses the transfiguration of Christ, he must have thought, wow, God is, is revealing to me the reality of what, I've just, of what I said just, just a short time ago. He's confirmed that in my heart. But not only that, in hearing God's affirmation of Jesus what it did for the, for the apostles at that particular day is that it pointed, it pointed them to the honour and glory that belonged only to Jesus. And it pointed them to not only his glory there, but it actually pointed them to the glory which is Jesus's from now right through to the very end of time. And it was kind of a revealing to them that, you know what, here you're not just seeing Jesus in just his humanity, but you're seeing Jesus in his his deity. And you're seeing Jesus as he will be when he returns at the very end of time. And having that confirmed in their hearts, they could then go forward from that place with absolute confidence and assurance of knowing that one day Jesus would be revealed in that glory to all of mankind, not just themselves. And Peter's saying, we were eyewitnesses of this fact and what we saw and what we heard, we want you to know and we want you to know with absolute certainty in your hearts and in your minds to have absolute confidence that this is indeed the truth. Peter, it didn't... You know, he didn't just, you know, draw on his own experience and the apostles' experience, the New Testament writers' experience, but then he goes on in verses 19 to 21 to speak about the reliability of the Old Testament witness. Because having witnessed what he did regarding Jesus and his divine identity, Peter then is able to say that, you know what, this gives an even greater confirmation then to the writers of the Old Testament, the prophetic word. We see that in verse 19 where he says... You know he says and we have the prophetic word the old testament more fully confirmed to which you will do well then to pay attention see for peter he knew that the old testament was was wasn't just you know written for 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 the for the israelites back in you know back in those days hundreds of years ago but he knew that within the Old Testament was contained all of these amazing and incredible prophecies about God's Messiah who would come. And Peter is now seeing the Messiah in Jesus. He's seeing the reality of all, and the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament promises of God concerning Jesus Christ. And he says, so therefore, having seen Jesus, having, having you know, seen him, having heard him, having even touched him, we can confirm then that the prophetic word, that the Old Testament is indeed true. In the Old Testament, we see the shadow of Jesus. We see the shadow of Jesus, but in the New Testament, we see the reality of Jesus. See, in the of Jesus, in the transfiguration of Jesus, we hear God's voice speak. He says, This is my beloved son, in, you know, whom I love, in him I am well pleased. And Peter hears those words and he says, We have heard God speak again. We heard God speak through to us through the Old Testament, and now we have heard him speak to us again. He relates the two together as the same voice and the same word of God. And so having heard this, having heard the voice of God speak again, it confirms what he had said before in those Old Testament scriptures. You see, Peter goes on to say that these writers did not make up what they wrote. He says, knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Folks, this book that we have here is not just man-made stories. It's not just a concoction of you know of ideas and philosophies that men have kind of just put down and that sort of thing, but it is indeed the very word of God to us, as though God was speaking in a in an audible voice to us through this word. These men did not make up what they wrote, but instead they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, speaking about the divine revelation, the divine inspiration of of the revelation of God. remember I was at Bible college years and years ago in our uh, theology lecturer, Jim Gibson. He actually uh, made us memorise this particular uh, verse in in 2 Peter 2.21. We had it in an exam, actually. And uh, speaking of, of, of the fact that this was the divine revelation, what he, the way he explained it was this, is that that word carried sort of carry, it has the meaning of, of a ship out on the ocean and, and, and the sails hoisted and the wind catching the sails and then taking that ship along. And he's saying this is the kind of picture that we need to see where God was speaking through these men. That these men, so to speak, they kind of put up their spiritual sails in a way. They were just they were they were available for God to use. They were they were they were keyed in to, to what God wanted to say through them. But and God used them in their own humanness, in their own uh, personalities, in their own kind of I you know their own kind of um, you know idiosyncrasies, if you like, the different people. But God, through them, made sure that what He wanted communicated was written down. They weren't robots, you know. They they didn't sort of go into some kind of trance and then you know just write down, have no idea what they were writing. But God was using these men in their you know in their fallibility and that sort of thing, but to record down for us the infallible, inerrant Word of God. That is what Peter is saying here. Of course, Apostle Paul writes about it very similar in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Divine inspiration of the Scriptures. God made sure that what was recorded in his word was very much what he wanted recorded and it is, it is infallible and it is inerrant, which means it has no mistakes. It is beyond corruption. There is no error at all. And Peter goes on to say that, that knowing this that it is indeed the true revelation of God, we would do well to pay attention to it. See that in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Lamp shining in a dark place. We need to accept it is. We need to accept the word of God as indeed God's true word to us, and believe it, and obey it, and follow it in our lives, like we would follow a lamp. There in this, this gloomy dark place, that word uh, dark there speaks of this gloomy dungeon kind of sort of uh, uh, a place that Peter's talking about here, and it kind of, it's just such a picture of our world today. Our world is this. That's just filled with spiritual darkness and evil. God is saying the only way to navigate through this world is to keep our eyes on that which is the the one true lamp, the true light of the world, Jesus Christ, and, and his word to us. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Light reveals, it reveals truth. It illuminates and guides God's word and light brings comfort. Psalm 27 verse 1, the author says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, of whom shall I fear? It, brings, it shows us truth, it shows us the way to go and it brings comfort. And it was this word or light of the Old Testament that points the way along with now the New Testament witness in the preaching and the teaching of the apostles and the New Testament writers. He says it is this, this word of God that points the way forward for all of us until the day dawns, until Christ returns and the morning star rises in our hearts. And that is just a way of Peter saying that, that our faith will actually be turned to sight that the morning light of Jesus Christ will, will rise in our hearts and be revealed m- most fully to us in his second coming. The Apostle Paul says something similar in, in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now we only know in part, but then I, know, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Peter's saying, you know, we follow the word, but we, we follow the word right the way through until that day when Jesus will come in all his glory and we will no longer need this because we will have the living word there with us and we will be in his presence forever and ever and ever. The Old Testament along with the New Testament remains the permanently valid voice of God until the end of history. Folks, we cannot know God by any other way. No matter what this world will tell you, we cannot know God by any other way apart from the word that he has given to us. We cannot know the truth by any other means. It is the one true foundation that can be trusted to build our lives on. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, Jesus says this, that everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Folks, we need to be like the wise man, hey? We need to be like the wise man. We need to build our lives on the true rock, the guaranteed foundation of God and his word as revealed to us through Jesus Christ. Everything about our lives, we should filter through the lens of the word of God this should be not just something that we pull out on a sunday it shouldn't just be something that we pull out you know once once a week or something like that but it should be something which we we know which we meditate upon which we 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 have embedded in our hearts and in our minds and that everything about, about our lives then needs to be you know lined up in relation to the word of god that is our only hope. That is the only way we are going to stand both now and for eternity. This has been God's plan right from the very beginning of time. There is no other way. There is no other word. put up there a little picture that I found this week which I thought was really, really helpful. Talking about those bricks. I met with a friend of mine this week. We... Uh, got together and we were just sort of just sharing a bit about uh what's going on in each other's life and praying with each other and that sort of thing and he was sort of saying about one of his one of his uh children and he was saying that uh you know a little while ago um this child of his was just really going through a crisis of faith that uh was starting to to doubt all that he had he had been brought up with all that he'd ever believed because someone had got in his ear and said that, you know what? You've got to just figure this stuff out for yourself. You've got to follow your heart. And Once he got away from the foundation of the word of God, all of a sudden he was adrift on this sea of emotions and on this sea of uncertainty and on this sea of doubt and fear. My friend said, I sat him down one night at home and I said, Let's get back to the basics. Let's get back to the foundations. And he just took him through those foundation building blocks of the word of God. He said, right. He said, let's start with the very beginning. Who is Jesus? Right. We know who Jesus is. That's the first stone. Let's build on that. Let's go next. And and we just keep building on that from the word of God. Young people today in particular, there are so many voices out there seeking to to, to to tell you to follow your own your own thinking, your own hearts, your own ways, the ways of this world, and stuff like that, and I've seen it time and time again with not just young people, but but, but older people as well. People who have been you know cr- been in Christian circles for years and years and years. That once they get away from God, they start you know it starts to get undermined. Their faith gets undermined, and the next minute they go from from being founded on this to being founded on nothing, and just at at, at the the mercy of any kind of teaching and philosophy and things like that. If there is one message that you take away from from this sermon today, it is this. Know the dependability, the reliability, the durability of this. Make a determination, a decision, a conscious decision in your hearts today that it is this and this alone which you will follow in your lives and nothing else. Because I guarantee if you have this as the foundation of your lives, then you will indeed stand. No matter what this world throws at you, no matter what challenges, storms, trials, difficulties, hardships, no matter what teachings and that sort of thing the world throws at you, you will stand, you will stand strong for God, you will be fruitful for God and you will bring glory to god and most of all god will assure you in your hearts that you are his and you will one day be with him forever and ever and ever amen let's pray father god thank you so much for your word to us today lord we've had confirmed to us again the fact that is indeed your word Lord, men and women over the centuries have have looked to you, have trusted in your word, and you have never let them down, Lord God. And you have given to us your very word in in, in the Bible that we have in our own grasp, in our own grips. We thank you for it. Help us never to take it for granted. Help us never to, to doubt it, but instead, Lord, to trust you in all of life, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to know we have the sure word of God that we can read any time. The one way that we can know that God will speak to us. We're going to stand together and sing our final song called the Reformation Hymn, which reminds us that we trust God's word alone and we live by faith alone. We're saved by grace alone and we stand on Christ alone, all for the glory of God of God alone let's stand together His finished His sacrifice. sacrifice.